Well, let me say this. For some of you, um, that this is not the normal church experience for you. You know, I, I say this from time to time. You might have walked in here today and went, these people are nuts. And we are totally comfortable with that. Look at it this way. You're in the entertainment capital of the world. You're in a great performing arts theater. You can enjoy the show today. You, you can leave going, yeah, they're, they're, those people are crazy. And more than that, let me say this, that for some of you, you have landed in a Pentecostal church on Pentecost Sunday. And, and here's, what I, here's what I want to point out to you. I want to point out to this to you. Nobody's jumped a pew, right? Nobody's charming any snakes. Nobody's swinging from any chandeliers. That's next Sunday. No, that's... In fact, what I want to do this morning as we, as we finish our series, Transformed, I, I want to talk to you this morning and I want to hopefully demystify the mystical. In fact, let me say this, that more churches in America are in decline than are growing. And there's a reason for that because people are pushing back against tradition. They're not interested in static tradition. Here's what you'll find. You'll find this, that churches like Calvary are growing like crazy. And the reason for that is because when you can offer something that has substance to it, and you can offer something that's genuine and real, we will naturally gravitate towards it. And, and e even more than that, you were hardwired with an appetite for the things of God. And unfortunately, so often what happens is this, is we try to pacify that appetite for the things of God with religion. And here's what you'll find, that more often than not, religion rings hollow. But the reality of who God is, and the reality of what he offers to you today, and the power that's found in walking in right relationship with God, it is absolutely liberating. That's the reason why it says, he who the sun sets free is free indeed, why scripture says that. And, and, and there's something truly remarkable about living with a genuine presence of a loving God in your life. So I, I, want us, I want us to unpack that this morning. Because I want you not just to know the word, I want you to be able to live the word when it says don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but rather be transformed. Let the transformational work of a living God take place in your life. Friend, when you have an encounter with God, something should happen. You should be changed, right? And when we, when any decision that you make, any decision that you make, if, if you were to go out and, and buy a new TV today, that decision is it's going to require mind, will, and emotion. The mind, the will, and the emotion. Every decision that you make is a decision of the mind, the will, and the emotion. It then makes sense, right, that when we connect with God, that we will connect with God in the mind, the will, and the emotion. And I don't say this to be critical or judgmental. I say it more to be observational. So many religious journeys... So many church experiences, what they do is they will connect you with one of those facets, right? You can walk into the intellectual church today and, and, and you'll hear a college level course and you'll leave and you'll be very impressed with how intelligent the speaker is. 
but your life isn't really changed except for maybe a little bit of knowledge. And scripture tells us this, that knowledge puffs up, love builds up. That doesn't mean that you walk in ignorance, right? Because if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And, And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And as your pastor, I have this responsibility. The word of God says, study to show yourself approved. A word workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so we need to, that issue of the mind, it's important. Okay. There are some churches that you could go to today that all they're going to focus on is emotion. And, and here's how you determine whether or not church was good. It's how, it's how loud I shouted. It's how much I cried. It's, it's how much I laughed. And, and church was a good day if I was e- emotionally moved. It was a, a bad day if I, if I wasn't emotionally moved. And, and understand this, that God wants to connect with you in the emotion. But friends, Pentecost is more than fluff on fire. There's a substance behind it. And then there's this issue of the will. And the will is all about life change. And one of the great concerns that I have, not just as a pastor, but as a man of God, is this, is that there's so much happening today where people connect with God on some level, but they're shaken, not changed. And church is nothing more than an emotional thrill, a spiritual chill. If it doesn't affect the relationship that you have with your spouse, if it doesn't affect your testimony in the workplace, if it doesn't modify the decisions that you're making and cause you to walk in greater integrity in every area of your life, then something's wrong. Because the presence of the Holy Spirit will serve as a counselor to you, as a guide to you, and as a conviction to you. Right? The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin and to guide us into righteousness. Well, what does that look like? Jesus, before he ascended into, his, ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, he said, I want you to return to Jerusalem. I want you to return to the upper room, and I want you to wait. I want you to wait for that which is promised, that which is promised to the Father. I, I told you about it, and I want you to wait for it. And, and what that tells us is it, it tells us that this dynamic of the Holy Spirit in our life, that it is an important thing. Now, there are some who will put the dynamic of the Holy Spirit over the sovereignty of Father God or over the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And, and, and make no mistake that the God that we serve, it is the Godhead three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we reverence, we don't compare or contrast what the role of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is. We don't, we don't try to quantify that or measure that We reverence all of it because God the Father is sovereign. God the Holy Spirit is sovereign. God the Savior, Jesus Christ, is sovereign. And and, and we shouldn't get involved in a comparison of that, but what we should get involved in is a connection with all of it. So 50 days after Jesus' death on the cross, the disciples were gathered together. And it was the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. And as they were gathered together in the the upper room, there was this mighty rushing wind. There was what appeared to be tongues of fire that appeared over their head. And they began 
to demonstrate power. And, and among that demonstration of power was this, this speaking in a, in a new language, in a different language. And, and the people around them, the people in Jerusalem, thought this entire group of 120 people have gone nuts. That shouldn't surprise you, okay? Still today, there's a lot of people that look at, at folks who embrace principles of Pentecost and they go, they're nuts, right? And, and, and so the, the people in that day, they thought these folks are nuts. And, and here's, in, in Acts 2, verse 14, Peter stands up. And you'll see it there in Acts 2, 14. It says, it says now, now Peter stood up, stood up among the 11, raised his voice and said to the crowd, People of Jeru uh, 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 fellow Jews and, and all who live in Jerusalem, listen to me and listen carefully to what I say. What you're seeing, th this isn't people acting the fool. These people aren't drunk as, as some might suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, no, what you're witnessing, this is what the prophet Joel, what he prophesied many centuries before. When he said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon, uh, among all flesh. Right? Tells us this, that young men will have visions. Old men will dream dreams. And here's what I can tell you today. Is that the power of God and the promises of God. God has never put a timeline or a time limit on the power of God and the promises of God. And all of the power that you see in the New Testament, it is all available for you today. And God wants you to walk in that. Unfortunately, because of anxiety over the unknown and, 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 and confusion because of people who have spoken things that are contrary to the word of God, this is an area that people... Um, Oftentimes, they, they, they tend to be uncomfortable with and, um, and, and tend to shy away from. And, and, and my hope is this morning that, that I can just, that I can peel back some of that and, and, and again, demystify the mystical for you this morning. Okay, true confession. This is one of those Sundays as a pastor that I go, I'm excited for everybody that's here, uh, but for the people that are coming to visit our church for the first time, I go, man, this is really not the best Sunday for them to come as a visitor because in essence, they're jumping into the deep end of the pool. And uh, not that that's a bad thing, okay? Uh, but you're, 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 you're jumping in right into some, some pretty significant and some pretty deep theological stuff. Now, here's what I believe. I believe this. Even though for me, in, in the natural, I go, I'd rather have somebody come when I'm talking about prayer or somebody come when I'm talking about uh, faith or talking about relationships. Talking about, talking about issues of, of Pentecost, you know, this because I just know it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, but here's what I believe. I believe that you're here today not by accident. I believe that you're here today by design. So even though it might be a little bit uncomfortable for you, and quite honestly, even though it might be a little bit uncomfortable for me, God's got you here for a reason. So I just tell you, just buckle in and let's go after it. Amen. So, uh, so I want to look at this not from an emotional perspective. I want to look at it from a very practical perspective. Okay? So let's, let's talk about this issue of, of the Holy Spirit. Is this issue of the Holy Spirit genuine? Well, here's what we know. We were told about the Holy Spirit first by the prophet Joel. Right? That, that's the scripture, uh, Acts chapter 2. That's what Peter is quoting, and Peter's quoting Joel 2. 
And, and here's what Joel 2 says. It says, and I will pour out my spirit on all people. I will pour out my spirit on who? On all people. Now, there are some who will tell you this, that the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was only for a select few. The problem with that is it doesn't line up with what Scripture says. They'll also tell you that it was only for a season. The problem is it doesn't line up with what Scripture says. And, and what they experienced in Acts chapter 2, Peter specifically said it was in response to this Scripture. And, and Joel isn't the only person that tells us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Not only does Jesus tell us about the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist tells us about the Holy Spirit. John, John the Baptist. So the, the most famous scripture is John 3.16. But let me tell you about Luke 3.16. Luke 3.16 says this. John the Baptist makes this comment. He says, listen, I baptize you in water. And we believe this. We believe that baptism is very important. You saw that we baptize five people today. But he says, there's one that's coming after me, quite honestly, who's sandals I'm not even worthy to tie. But he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire, in the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus goes into great detail when he talks about this in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, this is, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. It's the night that he's betrayed. It's just before he goes to the garden and is arrested. And so he's, he's telling them all these different things. And he says, listen, it's very important for you that I go away because I must go away in order for the counselor of the Holy Spirit to come. You've heard me talk about him. You've experienced him. He's been around you and he will be in you. So we have the, the, this issue of the Holy Spirit talked about by the prophet Joel, talked about by John the Baptist, talked about by Jesus. And then after Jesus death, burial, and resurrection. He's talked about by Paul. And Paul talks about it woven throughout the Pauline epistles. Scripture specifically that I want to refer to, 2 Timothy 1.14, he tells, this, tells us this. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in, and it's interesting he uses this term, us. Here's what I want to point out to you as, as regards to what we were told about the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit that speaks to exclusivity. There's nothing that the prophet Joel wrote about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the, or the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that speaks to exclusivity. There's nothing that John the Baptist said. There's nothing that Paul says that speaks to exclusivity. In fact, it seems to speak to inclusivity, that it's very inclusive. And I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The Holy Spirit that lives in us. It's a very, it's a very inclusive thing that we have, this, this gift that is, that is the Holy Spirit. And it, it's talked about Old Testament, it's talked about New Testament. Okay, who was it experienced by? Well, we see first it was experienced by the disciples in the upper room, right? Acts 2.4 says this, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as some gave them evidence. It wasn't just experienced by the disciples in the upper room. And again, there are some who will say that the, this issue of the Holy Spirit and these spiritual gifts, it was just for the apostles. No, all 120 people, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And began to speak in tongue, other tongues as, as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. 
right? But not just the people in the upper room. Listen to this. To the Samaritan believers. Acts 8 says this. When the apostles were at Jerusalem, they heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's interesting. These Samaritans, not only are they not apostles, not only were they not Jesus followers until they, until they were converted, they, they didn't come from a Jewish background. They were like you and me. They were Gentiles. Well, uh, most of us. We have some, some Messianic believers here this morning. It, it was also experienced by the house of Cornelius. Okay? House of Cornelius, they weren't even Israelites. They weren't even from, they were, they were Romans. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. It was experienced at the church of, at, at Ephesus. It says this in Acts 19.6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Friends, th this issue of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, this undoing of power, it wasn't just available for a select few. And when we understand the reason, when we understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit, it would make sense that it would be available for everyone. Right? Because God's no respecter of persons. And so it would make sense that this issue of, of the Holy Spirit, that it would it'd be available for everyone. Now, now, why is this important? Here's the reason why it's important. Here's the significance of it. Because we know that the enemy goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, correct? There's a heaven to gain, there's a hell to shun. We have this great advocate, Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. We have this great adversary, Satan, who, who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And we know because Paul told, told us that we're engaged in this, in this battle, right? And, and, and here's what the Word of God says. It says that we're involved in this, in this great cosmic battle. It's a battle for your soul. It's a battle for your eternal destiny. And all you have to do is just raise your spiritual temperature just a little bit, and you'll recognize that. You'll recognize just the temptation that comes into your day, the struggles that you face, and, and, and you'll recognize a, a supernatural aspect of that. Right? You ever notice that problems come in bunches? They do, correct? Problems come in, in bunches. I mean, if, if, if they just came at me one at a time, I can handle them. But it seems like they all gang up on me. Why? Well, that's just the way life works. No, it's because there is an enemy to your soul. And there is a strategy to try to wreak havoc in your life. Now listen. We don't have to walk in anxiety and fear over that because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. What, what, what Paul wrote in Romans is so true. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we aren't just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. So, so we can walk with an absolute confidence. We can walk with an unshakable joy. We can walk with a song in our heart and a swing in our step, knowing that God has us and he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. But to live blissfully unaware of the reality of what's happening beyond the natural and the supernatural, to live bliss, blissfully ignorant of this issue of spirituality and spiritual gifts puts us, in my opinion, at great risk. Let me take this a step further. I would, I would challenge you to challenge me. 
If anything that I'm sharing with you this morning, if it cannot be backed up by the word of God, if it cannot be backed up scripturally, and not scripture is taken randomly out of context, but scriptures that are clear both contextually and in their historical context, right? This is a very important thing. Because not only was the baptism of the Holy Spirit experienced by those in the upper room, by the Samaritan believers, by the house of Cornelius, by the church at Ephesus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is experienced by millions of believers today in fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. And I'm one of those. I didn't grow up in a Pentecostal church. It was not my background. Uh, I, I, I came to Christ in Bible Baptist Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Bible Baptist is the best. It's better than all the rest. Bible Baptist is the best. We had a song. I'm not making it up. So we were SBC. Why? Because somebody cares. And, uh, and so th this whole, this journey into uh, a Pentecostal experience, th th this was not a journey because I uh, was, was in, you know, enculturized by this. It was because God proved himself in a dramatic way. And here's what I know. The person with experience is never at the mercy of the person with theory. And there are people who want to say to me, the power of God is not for today. Really? The power of God is not for today. Okay. Let me talk to you about what God does in the prophetic. You know, how, how often I find myself in a situation where God gives me information to share with a person and their response back is, how in the world would you ever know that? Well, you're operating in the demonic. Well, that's what they said about Jesus. And I'm not trying to compare myself to Jesus. But isn't it amazing that when Jesus operated in the power of God, they said he operates in the demonic. And, and what did he say? He says, that's ridiculous. Okay? Why would Satan work against himself? It's a paraphrase, but that's in essence what, what Jesus said. So let's talk about what this looks like, because that's more than anything, that's what freaks people out. Most people are like, I'm okay with the Holy Spirit, but you know what really freaks me out is this whole, uh, like when I walk in the church and, and people raise their hands, although more churches are starting to raise their hands now, and so we're, we're getting more comfortable with that. By the way, the raising of the hands, there's nothing mystical or magical. Or this. We're, not, we're not raising up some ecclesiastical antenna to try to connect with God. It's simply an act of surrender, right? And it's a natural response to, to, to the sovereignty and the awesome nature of God. Right? It's just that all it is. That's just a human response. Right? And scripture, scripture refers to it, but, but understand this. There's nothing, there's nothing uh, mystical or magical that happens when I go like this. In fact, do this. Ready? Go like this. Anybody feel anything? Yeah, not so much. Right? There's nothing. Woo! No, nothing happens when I do that. Right? One hand. Right? Fists. You know, this. Yeah. I can get this at jazzercise. It's, it's not the expression of the raising. There's not, again, all that is, that's just a, it, 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 when, I, when you find yourself in the presence of God, it just makes sense to say this. God, I, I surrender all that I am. I surrender all that I have to you. That's all that is. Okay? So if this is your first time being in a church where you see people raising their hands and you go, oh, we should, that, that, that shouldn't happen in a church. It's, it's okay. You know what you'll see from time to time here? 
you'll see somebody come and, and they'll, 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 be, they'll be just be, they'll be spinning over here, okay? Just doing their own little dance. Well, that's weird. Why? What, what makes that weird? Because here's what it is. It might be different from your cultural experience, but it's biblical, right? Over and over and over, they dance before the Lord. Now, if you ever see me dancing, it will be before the Lord because I have no rhythm. In fact, I don't think I've ever danced in church. And if I do start dancing in church, our attendance will plummet. Not because of any doctrinal thing, but people will go, that's frightening. <laughs> and so that, that's, not, that's not my deal, okay? I'm not a, but, but there are some people that that's, that's their expression of worship. And, and, and listen, that is very appropriate. Here's where it's inappropriate, okay? If you, in fact, let me say this. The first Sunday that I was here, uh, I came... Oh, almost three years ago now as a guest speaker and, and there was a, a woman who was not a part of the church and she started doing a dance and she was doing what can only be described as the worm um, in front of the platform. And I was sitting over in the pew and I, I said, that, that's not right. And I looked around to see if, if the other, the people that were typically here, if what, they, what their facial expression was, because I wanted to know if they thought, well, this is what happens at Calvary or if they thought it was weird, Okay. Amy was leading worship. And Amy had this look on her face like, what is that woman doing? So I said, yeah, this, is, this really isn't supposed to happen. We need to, we need to do something. And, and the church was in between pastors. And so th there really wasn't a pastoral authority here. And I, there was an interim pastor. He was out of town that Sunday. And I, so I said, you know what? I got to do something. And so I walked up and, and, and did not tell the lady stop doing the worm, but changed the order of service to where she would stop doing the worm, right? Because here's what we don't want. We want people to experience God in all his fullness uh, we don't want it to be weird, okay? It might be different for you. If it gets to where it's legitimately weird, we're not having that. Because what you typically see and what people freak out over, listen, is, is, is this. It's a human response to the presence of God, a powerful presence of God. And sometimes when people find themselves in God's presence, here's what they'll do. They'll, just, they'll, they'll feel just that they've got to get on their knees and bow. There was a gentleman who did that this morning. Totally appropriate. Now, does that mean that you're in sin if you didn't do that? Maybe. No, it doesn't. Okay? But that was his human response to being in the presence of an almighty God. Sometimes people will, they'll just begin to cry. Totally appropriate. Now, does that mean that if you don't cry that you're not connecting with God? No. Does it mean that everybody needs to cry? No. Does that mean that we're going to have a crying revival? No. Sometimes people will just, the joy of the Lord will come upon them and they'll just start chuckling. There was a whole laughing revival that created, that was created out of that. And I'm going to offend somebody here, but let me tell you something. I thought that laughing revival was crazy. It's goofy. Look, if you want to experience God, here's what you got to do. You got to laugh. Show me that book, chapter, and verse. Is it wrong when I find myself in the presence of God just to laugh? No, it's not wrong at all. But for you to tell me that I have to laugh, Try it. Sometimes you'll be in a church and you'll see people that they'll fall over and you go, oh, I'm not doing that. That's weird. That is kind of weird. But let's talk about it. First of all, we don't, we don't push people over here. I had one time, I, I had a, 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 a guest speaker when I was a staff pastor, not in this church, when I was a staff pastor, they were praying for people 
right? Because that's what the Bible says. It says that, that, you know, if any sick among you, let them call the elders, anoint them with oil and prayer, and the prayer offering of faith will make the sick person well. It's in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, friends, we do it. Okay? But we had this, we had this, this guest speaker, and he's going along, and he's, he's pushing the people. And he gets to me, and he goes to put his hand on my head, and I go, don't push me. I didn't say it loud because I didn't want to embarrass him, right? And I also didn't want to bear myself, embarrass myself, and I didn't want to be fired because um, I wasn't totally sure how the lead pastor felt. But I said, don't push me, okay? If, if, if I go down on my own, that's great. If God knocks me down, I'm cool, but don't you push me. Right? And here's what that is, okay? Listen very carefully. God does not knock people over. God will not shove you down. You never have to worry about coming into this church and God knocking you over. Now, some of you might say, well, pastor, I've been here and God has knocked me over. No, God did not, did not knock you over. I'm not saying that you falling over is inappropriate. In fact, people, people, people falling, okay, are just, here's what that is. Do you want to know what that is? <clears throat> we find ourselves in a moment where we are so, we're so connected to what God's doing in our life what God's doing in our midst in the moment, the presence of the Holy Spirit upon us, that we just, we, we, we just, just totally give into it, right? And so in that, presence of, in, in that presence of God, it's just boom. And again, totally good, totally cool, totally right. I, I've experienced it in my own life. It, it's not, quite honestly, it's not something that I do a lot. It's not something I do every day. It's not something I do every week. But I've had those moments where I've been in God's presence so much so, and, 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 and specifically somebody comes and prays for me, and I just, in that, I just totally yield over to God. And just, the next thing I know, I'm... And, and I just... So, and let me talk specifically about that. And, and here's, when, that's, when, when it's right and when it's of God... I, 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 one time I saw one of the gals in our church. This is when I was a, an assistant pastor at a church. Um, somebody was praying for her and, and she, she, her response to that was just boom. She went out and she hit her head on the corner of the pew. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's, she's probably gonna have to be hospitalized. And, um, and she got up later and she's just talking about just, just what God was doing in her life in this work of renewal. And I said, how's your head? And she goes, my head's, my head's fine. Why do you ask? I said, seriously? I said, yeah. I said, you bounced off the end of that pew. And she goes, no. I said, I'm telling you, I've watched you. You bounced off the end of that pew. She says, well, God had me because nothing happened. Okay. But understand this. That's a human response to being in the presence of God. You don't ever have to do any of that. And by the way, if you laugh or cry or raise your hands or fall over, it doesn't make you a better Christian than the person sitting next to you that goes, I'm never doing that. And the unfortunate thing, one of, the, one of the issues that makes connecting with the reality of the power of God very tough for people is the spiritual elitism among many Pentecostals that think they're better than everybody else. You're not. In fact, many times what has happened, you've connected so much with the emotional side of a relationship with God and you lack a lot of doctrinal basis. A lot of Pentecostal churches, they are a mile wide and an inch deep. And it is not falling over that makes you stronger in your faith. It's the word of God. It's having an understanding of the word of God that makes you stronger in your faith. The church that does nothing but chase after, after experience is at the same disadvantage of the church that rejects the experience of God. Let me say that again at the risk of offending everyone in the room. 
The Christian who seeks nothing more than an emotional experience is at the same disadvantage as the Christian who says, yeah, I don't want any of that in my life. We go back to this issue, mind, will, and emotion, right? So let's talk about the reality of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about what it's not, okay? I want to deal with the counterfeits. Number one, Pentecost is not emotionalism. It, Paul makes a statement in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not an author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the church of the saints. Okay? This goes back to what we've been talking about. It's not about emotionalism. It's also not about intellectualism. I love what he says in 1 Corinthians when he, when he says this in the second chapter. He says, When I came to you, brethren, I didn't come with superior wisdom or eloquence. Right? He says, In fact, I resolved to know nothing while I was among you, because I, I didn't want you to rest on man's wisdom, but I wanted you to connect in a very real way with God's power. So Pentecost is not emotionalism. It's, it's not intellectualism. It's also not salvation. Okay? The, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it's not salvation. It, 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 it's, it's, it's something that happens subsequent to salvation. We see that pattern over and over again. And here's a great example in, in Acts, the 19th chapter. It says this. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, We don't even know anything about this Holy Spirit. Right? So here's what Paul did. Paul prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit, and they received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and prophesied. It's also not sanctification. Okay? It doesn't make you a better Christian. It's the reason why 1 Corinthians 13 ring is so true. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, and that's a great explanation of what this thing that sometimes you'll hear in church, you'll hear people speaking in a language you don't know. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but if I do that and don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So, so, so how, do I know, how do I know when it's credible? Well, first of all, there's a genuine evidence of God's presence. Acts 1 says this, or Acts 10 rather says this. The circumcised believers had come with Peter, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. There, there's, there's, there tends to be an evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and here's the reason why. A, a, a genuine presence of the Holy Spirit will happen because when we connect with God, it is going to impact us, mind, will, and emotion. Okay? There's also, there's an endowment of his power, which shouldn't surprise us. Why? Because what did Jesus say to his disciples there um, just prior to his, his, his ascension recorded in, in Acts 1? They're wanting to know, there's the resurrected Jesus there, and they're wanting to know, okay, Jesus, what comes next? Are you at this time going to restore Israel? Are you at this time going to overthrow Rome? Are you at this time going to establish your kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know that stuff. Don't worry about that. But you will receive power. But you will receive power. But you will receive power. And that word power, it is from the same Greek word that we get the word dynamite. Actually, the Greek word that's there, it's the word dunamas. And you will receive dunamas when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this power has a purpose to it, right? It's to equip you for the challenges that you're going to face 
walking in that. And here's the, here's the biggie. If, if the presence of the Holy Spirit is there, a good tree will produce what? Good fruit. A bad tree will produce? You know how we know that? Well, there's two reasons we know that. We know that, number one, because the Bible tells us. But if the Bible didn't tell you that a good tree produces good fruit, wouldn't you kind of figure that out? I mean, we live in, we live in Florida, go buy a healthy orange tree, and what's that tree going to produce? Come on. Thank you. I was, I was a bit worried for a moment. I thought somebody over here might say pears. And uh, no, a good tree will produce good fruit. A bad tree will produce bad fruit. And so you cannot, listen, if you're in an environment where seemingly the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, but the fruits of the Spirit are not evident, you need to run as fast as your legs will carry you, right? If you're in an environment where people are speaking in tongues and they're prophesying and, 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 and all this different, you know, expressions that we see that the New Testament talk about on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, if you see those things happening, but the people aren't loving, they're not joyful, they're not patient, they're not peaceful, they're not kind, they're not generous, they don't exhibit some self-control, something is horribly wrong. They're not operating in spiritual gifts. In fact, they're probably operating in manipulation, which is a subtle form of witchcraft. Being spiritual is not being weird. I'm going to say that again. Being spiritual is not being weird. People oftentimes think being spiritual means being mystical. Why? Read, read the story of Jesus and Jesus' earthly journey. Jesus did some really amazing things, right? Raised people from the dead. He never mystified it. Jesus never used a smoke machine. Right? He never walked into a situation with nothing up my sleeve. No, here's what he would do. Sorry, raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus had only, it's okay, Lazarus is sleeping. Well, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. No, no, you don't understand. He's, he's dead, but he's gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna raise him from the dead. Right? And here's what Jesus would do. Jesus would walk into situations like that and he would say to the lame, um, I tell you, rise up and walk. Pick up your mat and go home. Right? The, the, the man that was born blind rubs mud in the guy's eyes. One of my favorite stories in all scripture because I love the fact that the guy doesn't ask Jesus to heal him and Jesus doesn't explain who he is. Jesus walks, just walks up and rubs mud in the guy's eyes and tells him, go wash in the pool seven times. And then when you do that, you'll, you'll be able to see. And the guy, okay. And the blind guy's sauntering off with mud in his eyes and washes his eyes and he's healed. Okay? There was nothing that Jesus did for sensationalism. There was nothing that he did for show. It's the reason why, to be perfectly honest, I struggle so much with a lot of the full gospel part of the church that does so much for show. Look, let, let the reality of who God is, let it stand on its own. And remember that whole thing, the mind, will, and the emotion? Listen, connecting with God will move you emotionally enough. I don't have to work you up. I don't have to put on a show. It doesn't have to be that way. And, and there should be just a, a powerful demonstration of spiritual fruit that comes along with the expression of spiritual gifts. So why? Why, why, why do I want this Holy Spirit in, in, in my life? Okay? And here's the thing. I'm getting ready to land the plane. I'm, I'm going to get you out here very quickly. Um, 
But why do I want this? Why is this issue of the Holy Spirit important? Why do we as a church embrace this? Because after all, isn't the important thing just accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and being saved? Absolutely. Absolutely. But understand this, that God loves people more than anything. And I love, there's a, a song written in the early 80s by a gentleman by, uh, by the name of Keith, Keith Green, and he said this. He said, the world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. And when we go back to what Jesus said in John 14, when we look at what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, and he talks about the role of the Holy Spirit and this issue of it being uh, a counselor to us, of being a guide to us, being a, a convictor of us, helping us to see what's wrong in our life. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction. It's important to understand this. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. Does that mean he declares you guilty? No, that's judgment. It does not say that the Holy Spirit brings judgment. It says the Holy Spirit brings conviction. And conviction is very important. Oftentimes in churches, what they'll try to do is they'll try to bring condemnation on you. Okay? Condemnation is telling that you all of the bad things that you did. And actually more than that, telling you that you're a bad person. God never says to you, you're a bad person. God doesn't speak condemnation over you. Right? The word of God says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit, the love of Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. No condemnation. But here's what the Holy Spirit does bring. It brings conviction. Condemnation is the understanding that I've done something wrong and feeling bad about it. Conviction is an earnestness, a desire to change. Okay? And, and, the, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's very important that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life because it brings conviction to change. And so we, we, walking with this and walking with all that the Holy Spirit brings, that empowerment and the spiritual gifts that come along with that, Here's what it does. Acts chapter 4. It says this, that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. See, here's what happens. When we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it brings confidence. It brings confidence. In fact, let me, let me tell you about me. I am not somebody who naturally would feel comfortable standing up here. I don't eat before I speak because my stomach is just freaking out every time I speak, even after having done this for over 20 years. Because I can't do this in the natural. I, I, I can't. I, I'm, I'm a private person. I'd, I'd much rather be at home. But the love of God compels me to do this. And I'm dependent upon the presence of the Holy Spirit every time I stand on this platform and address you. But when I walk up here knowing Knowing the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon me, I can stand here confidently. I can stand here boldly. I can stand here and pro proclaim the word of God boldly. Why? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It also, it, it refines our character. L look what it says in the very next verse uh, of Acts 4. All the believers were a one, one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. It also, it, 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 that, that confidence and, and that refining of the character, it it empowers our courage. The, the very next verse, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And it, 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 it changes the people around us. It changes our community. 
There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as had need. You see, it, it, it impacts who we are. It impacts our witness. It impacts our warfare. And yet, people are resistant to this issue of the Holy Spirit because they're afraid. I don't know about this weird language stuff. And I, I've been in a church where they said that speaking in tongues is of the devil. And my response to that is, if you're going to tell me that speaking in tongues is the devil, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this for me. Show me your reference in here. Don't just tell me that. Show me your reference in here. Because this is the Bible. This is God's handbook for life. Okay? By the way, this, this, there's, there's never been a book that's been more scrutinized than this book. And it stands the test of time. There's never been an archaeological dig. They're, they're unearthing stuff in the Middle East, they're unearthing stuff in Israel today. There has never been an archaeological dig that has disproven this book. But there's so many things where people said, oh, that's not true, and then they have this archaeological dig, and they go, oh, I guess it is. It is the genuine word of God. There's nowhere it says, there's nowhere in here where it says that speaking in tongues is of the devil. Well, yeah, it's not of the devil, but here's the thing, it was only for a season. So let me tell you why people will say that it's only for a season. And this is, this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is my, my last statement. Okay, this, this is where I land the plane. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says this. And this is, this is right in the middle of Paul talking about spiritual gifts. Okay, so he talks about spiritual gifts and in the midst of that, he sandwiches in between talking about spiritual gifts. He talks about, he, there's this chapter on love. Okay, why? Because love needs to be at the center of spiritual gifts. And in the midst of it, uh, he says this, as he gets to the end of the love thing, he says this, he says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And here's what the cessationist will tell you. The cessationist will tell you that when the Bible came because it was perfect, and it is perfect, but when the Bible came because it was perfect, all that stuff passed away. So tongues are still, prophecy has gone away. Here's the problem. You can't, and I hope, I hope that you saw this, even what I gave you on the, the expressions of the Holy Spirit, Acts 4, 30, 31, 32, 33, you can't take Scripture out of context and want to prove your point. You, you've got to look at the Bible and have it be contextually correct. All right? And, and it says this. It says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But it also says in the Bible, it says in the last days, knowledge will increase. So has knowledge passed away? Anybody here have a high school student that you try to help them with your homework and you go, we didn't cover this when I was in high school. Right? Why? Because we are in a time, we're in a generation where knowledge is going, just going crazy fast. Those of you that were here, that are here over the age of 50, did you ever imagine when you get a place where they'd be talking about self-driving cars? That freaks me out. Right? Somebody just said, electric cars. I want an electric car. I'm praying for a Tesla. Don't judge me. 
but knowledge is increasing. And friends, the Bible can't say that in the last days knowledge will increase and, and also say that when the Bible came, that knowledge passes away. No, here's what, here's what on the anointing of the Holy Spirit, what Paul's referring to in 1 Corinthians 13, look at this, he says this. He says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And he says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Right? He's talking about when perfection comes is that day when Jesus splits the eastern sky. Until that time, you're involved in a life that has more than its, more than its uh, share of both challenges and opportunities. And in those challenges and opportunities, you will be much better equipped to handle, the, not a better person, but a better equipped person to handle, handle those challenges and opportunities if you embrace all that the Holy Spirit is. I don't want to speak in some weird language. Okay, I'm cool with that. By the way, we'll never force you to and we won't teach you to because you can't teach. There's some churches that will try to teach you to. That's just bizarre. Okay, it's unhealthy. It's not right. But what if, what if you have the same experience that I have? And here's my experience. Here's how I stepped into this issue of the fullness of Pentecost. As a teenager, I was praying. And as I prayed, I just, I found myself just naturally going from a language that I knew to a language that I didn't know. And, and it, just, it just felt like an expression from, my, from the depth of my soul. It didn't seem weird or wrong. It just seemed right. It seemed very natural. And here's what I will tell you. The hundreds of people in this room that have experienced this, they can tell you this. That when they pray in the Spirit, when they sing in the Spirit, it, it doesn't seem weird. It just seems very natural because it's something that, that flows not from the head but from the depths of the soul. It's what Paul refers to as the tongue of angels. It's in the Bible. There are millions that experience it today. And you know why? It doesn't freak out their life. Don't, don't attach the weirdness that some strange churches do with the reality of what the Word of God says about this stuff, about spiritual gifts and spiritual power. And I beg you, don't minimize the power of God. Because we all live in this world, and we live in a world where we desperately need the power of God. And so, here's my encouragement to you. Live your life like this. God... All that I have, all that I am, I'm open-handed to you. God, if there's anything in my life that you don't want me to be engaged in, I want you to take it from me. God, if there's anything that you want to bring into my life, I'm willing to receive it. And God, whatever you, whatever you want these hands to do, whatever you want these hands to touch, they're, they're, they're there for your use. And just be open. And don't be surprised when God does something that initially freaks you out. 
But after you get through the initial, oh, wow, that was different. You go, different's kind of good. 